0: Psalms of ascent uh, as we continue in in the series and today we're talking about the about much much needed mercy much needed mercy i don't know about you but i i sense the need for mercy quite a lot in my life i um i'm very grateful for anybody who's merciful to me when i need mercy uh, i think penny's as you most of us are married here you know over the years you're very grateful that your spouse is merciful um and uh, a lot of the, the reasons why we might survive and do okay as married couples is because we learn more and more how to be merciful uh, towards one another penny was merciful towards me this week i i, I was i'd become quite distant she said to me yesterday we need to have a chat uh or would you like to have a chat and we did and she expressed to me the the uh the observation that i was distant and i had to be honest and that was true and and she asked me about it we had a good chat sitting on the bench in the garden um and i'm very grateful for for her mercy we really need mercy maybe you feel that need right now and this psalm is all about mercy have mercy on us lord until he shows us his mercy have mercy on us he repeats it two three times there in the psalm and these are times when we could use a bit of mercy uh, the problem that the people of israel had and the psalmist has here is that he is enduring contempt, no end of contempt, ridicule from the arrogant, contempt from the proud. So specific situations may be going on there for Israel, probably uh, written maybe after the exile, when they might have returned from exile, physically have come back, but still in a sense feel like they're in exile because the Romans are still, or, or the Greeks, or somebody else is still really in charge of Jerusalem and what's going on politically. And perhaps we have a sense of that that in our lives, in our world, we are Christians, we are people of Christian faith, We have the victory of the over sin and death, and yet we're still sort of mixed into this world and feel feel that sense of tension and sometimes even contempt and ridicule towards us because of uh, because of what we believe and how we live. So we all need uh, mercy. Let me ask you, who can you think of? We can put answers into the uh, chat box up there. Who can you think of in the Bible that was ridiculed and treated contemptuously and they didn't deserve it? Not those who deserved it, but people in the Bible who were treated contemptuously, were ridiculed, but didn't deserve it. Who can you think of? Daniel, uh, Stephen in Acts 7, okay, when he was stoned for sure. Yeah, Noah building the ark for who knows how long. Job. Oh, my word. Yes. I mean, his friends didn't exactly help him. Uh, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks, Leon. Daniel was uh, ridiculed and uh, treated contentiously. Uh, Joseph, of course, classic one, isn't it? Uh, In jail for doing nothing wrong. Elisha. Yeah, Simon. Yeah. Elisha was ridiculed by the people who should have been paying attention to his prophecy. Absolutely right. I mean, the list probably could go on and on. In fact, almost all the famous people we can think of of faith were ridiculed or treated contemptuously. At some point, um, all the prophets, all of them, right? And and because, yeah, Jesus, that's right, Liesel and Garth. Jesus. Ultimately, we look forward all the way through the prophets to Jesus, and even in then his followers, as Dan Dan said, uh, uh, Stephen in Acts seven. And still it goes on today, doesn't it? People who say they want to follow Jesus, even though it's a good outcome, are still ridiculed. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Prophets, Jesus, Jesus' followers. There's going to be opposition in this life, and there's going to be a need for mercy in all of its forms, not just in terms of persecution. So we need God's mercy. Now, what kind of mercy are we talking about here? In Psalm 123, when it has this word, it's the uh, Hebrew word Hanan or Hanan. And it means a, a compassion, a compassion for the, those who are in need, essentially, those who are uh, uh, in need of some help. It means to take pity on someone. It means to be kind to them. It, may, it implies an act of kindness. In other words, more than just the feeling that actually something practical is being done to offer mercy to somebody it's um it's not just feelings of pity it's doing something helpful and so we think of jesus of course as the ultimate model of an the embodiment of god's mercy came from heaven to live our lives amongst us and amongst often the most vulnerable and needy touching their lives with with loving words and loving deeds this is the kind of mercy that the psalmist is hoping for here it's not just it is an emotional uh, comfort but it's more than just that he's saying God I am stuck and I need some help and so this is the mercy we're talking about today now what do we do when we need mercy from God the psalm gives us some really good help with this the first is that we could, we need to it helps us to remember that when we go to God for mercy for help of any kind We go to him with confidence. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is looking to God with confidence. The psalmist does this in verse 1. He says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. Sit enthroned in heaven. This is who he's looking to. The one who sits enthroned in heaven. we look with confidence to God because he is the victorious one. When you think of someone who's who's it, the embodiment of victory, a victorious person, who do you think of? Let's put some answers into the chat box there other than Jesus, okay we already have him so, Apart from Jesus, and doesn't have to be a biblical fig- fig- figure. It could just be somebody in, cu- in the culture, in history. And when you think of somebody like that, somebody who's victorious, who comes to mind? Sports, politics, I don't know, anything. Uh, wh- who comes to mind? Nelson Mandela. Okay. Churchill. He's on our minds a lot right now with celebrations of VE Day. Usain Bolt, yeah, <laughs> definitely victorious many times over. Elizabeth I, okay, yeah, the, uh, the the warrior queen. Captain Tom, Leon, yeah, I like that. What a character he is. Mother Teresa, yeah, okay, a very different kind of victory, but a real uh, victorious life, you could say, yeah. That's a really interesting one, Lisa. Uh, Wellington, yeah, the Duke of Wellington. There aren't any French people on this call are there I hope not so yes Waterloo and all that um we've probably all got our heroes that are victorious and isn't it nice to have to be associated with a victorious person you feel a lot more secure when you're like that's a victorious person I'm connected to them and some of their victoriousness kind of can rub off on you and and when someone's victorious we pay special attention to them because they're the kind of person we think can help us. If they can get to be victorious, they must have some power, authority, influence that can help us. The way victorious people handle their victory tells you a lot about their real character because, truth be known, not all victorious people are magnanimous or generous. It's very interesting to think about the VE celebrations this last weekend, this weekend um we watched the television on uh uh, programs on friday night and thought a lot about our families my parents remember a ve day they were uh what eight or nine penny's father was nine i think her neighbor jan who lives pointing to the house who lives opposite she's 91 she was 15 on the e day and remembers it vividly Uh, penny's grandfather was in the war um, and captured and a pow for many years there's a lot of reflections where we watched uh, the the longest no the darkest hour the churchill film last night again it's a great film but it's interesting to see the difference between what happened at the end of the first world war and the second world war so without going into all the detail at the end of the first world war the, the mood amongst the allies towards the defeated german forces was one of um well well they wanted to get as much much back as possible and so the terms of peace were very punishing towards the German people. And whether that's right or wrong, I'm not going to get into all that. But the, one, of, one of the reasons why Hitler was able to find traction and gain power was because of the sense of resentment that was there in the German people about how they had been treated after the First World War. Again, I'm not going to deal with the politics of that, but it's one of the reasons. At the end of the Second World War, although uh, Germany had to pay some reparations, the terms of the peace were not as harsh. And it's one of the reasons there's been peace, generally speaking, in Western Europe since those times. It's important that the victorious person has the right spirit and character if they're going to be able to help those who need help. And so what do we see here? We see that this victorious person, who is God, obviously, is seated enthroned in heaven. What does that tell us? Well, when you're seated on your throne, you're a victorious ruler. The standing ruler is one who's going to go into battle or is going to uh, meet out uh, justice and judgment, whereas the the seated ruler is one who's victorious. So God is a victorious ruler. He's enthroned in heaven. That's to to whom we look when we need help, the one in the heavenlies. Uh, As we looked at earlier in this series in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So when we're looking to help from God, we're looking to the one who made everything. He's victorious. He's enthroned in heaven. And then we think about Jesus, right? Because we have to think about the relevance of this for, for our time. And in Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 20, talking about the power of God, It says, that power is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is seated. Jesus is seated in victory as well. He's seated there because of his victory over sin and death that God gave him, because of his humility in going to the cross. And what does that mean? It means that when we pray, we've got a problem we're downhearted we're despondent we're stuck we're fed up we we have a we don't know what to do we we have a real problem whether it's in our own sin life or character or just in, in, around us what do we do first of all we look to the right god we look to the one who is seated victorious victorious over sin and death that's where we look it's who we look to we look with confidence we don't we don't look there with trepidation or with fear we say, God, I know you have the power. I know you can get me through this time. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen with my job, my family. And you know, I was talking the other day. I mean, I, my, all of our families, are, our parents are into a, well into their 80s. You know, I, I do have my fears about what will happen if they get ill. And and we are going to face some challenges similar to what Barry, you and, and Kate have been through with the loss of your mother, Barry. And we feel for you and hope the funeral went well this week. We're, we're going to have more of these kinds of challenges. Who do we go to? What, Who do we pray to? And how do we pray to that person? How do we pray to our God? We, we can look to him with confidence. And that confidence is not that he will do exactly what we want. God is sovereign, and we have to accept that. But confident that he has the power and the strength to help us to handle what's going on right now, and not just to wait for it to be over. But right now, we can have the strength and the confidence we need. And we need a lot of that strength and confidence, don't we? At least I know I do, and I'm sure you do as well. So the first thing is we respond to a need for mercy by looking in the right place and looking with confidence. But secondly, verse 2, really interesting what he says here. As the eyes of a slave look to the master or a female slave to the mistress, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. It's interesting that he uses such an image. I'm wondering, um, I have some thoughts, but I'm wondering if anybody would like to put something in the chat box here. Why use such an image? Why use an image like, to use the image of a slave, a a slave, a slave, a female slave, Looking to a master, looking to a mistress, why do you think the psalmist, or what do you think the psalmist means by using this slave metaphor? I think it's a really interesting metaphor he uses, not one what I would have expected, I think, in this psalm, because we're not, we're not, we're humble before God, but we're not treated by God as if we are slaves. So, what kind of Met what kind of purpose or what kind of meaning do you think he's trying to convey? I'd be interested to know, uh, what we all think. Uh so, Leon, complete powerlessness, yeah. Well, we, we if we can't, if we could get ourselves out of a challenge or problem, if we could get mercy enough for ourselves, I suppose we would, but we can't, so we are powerless, and that makes some sense, yeah. Uh, Carl, our complete dependency on God, yeah. Sometimes we don't realize how dependent we are we are really fully dependent on him good point uh dependency Stefan. thank you lise complete power of god yeah like a slave yeah a master has complete power over their slave and so in that sense perhaps there's a a rep a, a, a reflection of that here uh the complete power of god Adorned, they have the ability to meet needs as God does. Okay. Oh, okay, so so like by delegated authority or power, perhaps you mean. Yeah. Sarah, submission. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Being submissive to the will of the master. Simon, a yielded man. Well, yeah, if you're a slave, you you're whether voluntarily or not, but you're yielded to the master. And as a someone who follows God and honors God, we yield ourselves to him. These are actually really good answers. I hadn't thought about hardly any of these. This is great. Excellent. Maybe some more will come in. Let's leave that for the moment. I think part of it might be this. I think all that's true, by the way. I think part of it might be this, that we watched a costume drama series recently, Penny and I. um, Began with B. It's very similar to Downton Abbey in its style. was it Belgravia or what was it, Penn? Um began with B, be, it was on ITV. Belgravia. Belgravia. Was it Bill? Okay, thank you. Okay, we watched that recently and um, it was fun. And what in the scenes where you've got the 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 wealthy people eating dinner, and they're eating dinner around a table, what you see with the servants. Is that they're standing in the background uh, around the walls, and they are attentive to what's going on on the table. So they're not—they're definitely not checking uh, Facebook while they're while they're there, um, and they're not looking all over the room. But they, their eyes are fixed on the table, and in particular, if there are several servants, on the person they're serving, and so they notice exactly what's going on and when to get involved. And so let's say somebody puts their knife and fork together and they finish, and then the servant will notice that and walk up and take that dish away and bring something back. And And I think part of the image, part of what's going on here is the image is that the servant is attentive to the hand of the master, the master or the mistress. They are attentive. They're waiting and watching for the next move, which indicates when they are going to move. Um, They look to the hand. Why do they look to the hand? Because the hand will gesture. The hand will indicate. The hand will beckon. The hand will send. The hand will give. The hand will request something. And the servant is ready. They're ready. They're attentive. They're focused. And they're expectant. Do you notice here that at the end of verse 2, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till... He shows us his mercy, until he shows us his mercy. I'm going, it's like he's saying, I'm going to stay focused on God. I'm going to stay focused on, on, on my, my life, my, my prayer, and, and my attentiveness to him until I get what I need, because I know it's coming, because he's the victorious one, and I know he loves me. That The help is coming when I need it. If it hasn't come yet, it's not the right time, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to say, forget this. off reminds me of Luke 18 where Jesus told his disciples a parable to say uh, to remind them to always pray and not give up and he talks about the judge who didn't care about anybody but there was a widow who kept widow who kept coming to me saying give me justice against my adversary judge didn't care refused but finally he got fed up and he said even though I don't care about this and what she thinks okay I will give you justice And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So it's an ongoing, persevering attentiveness on God and prayerfulness until we receive what we need. He will see they get justice and get it quickly. Psalm 5, verses 1 to 3. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you, I pray, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly, wait expectantly. Not to say the answer has to come right there and then or will, but I'm, I'm expecting an answer. I'm expecting help. I'm expecting mercy. I don't know about you, but this lockdown stuff is getting a little tiresome. To me i i'm a little bit of an introvert at times and i don't mind my own company and i like my garden and i like this house but i don't know how many weeks it's been now i think the last time we were together as a church on a sunday was was it mid-march i'm ready for a change and maybe you are too we we need to not give up praying about this whole situation but we don't know god's timing I know a lot of us are praying for this whole thing to be over quickly, and for the COVID-19 virus to go away, and we, that's understandable. But we don't know God's purposes, so we need to pray patiently and expectantly. And in the meantime, praying that—excuse <clears throat> me—praying that God will bring us the strength we need to handle the challenges that we have right now. Notice in the psalm that in verse three, he moves from the conceptual to the personal. As the slaves look to the hand, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Then verse three, have mercy on us, Lord. He's gone from thinking and talking about God to now talking to God. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. We have endured such contempt. I wonder in what area of your life you're feeling the need for God's mercy most. My encouragement to myself, and to all of us would be to say, rather than wait for this whole thing to be over and say, well, some mercy is coming eventually. My encouragement would be to say, God, tell God what mercy you need from him now. What do you need? What do you need spiritually? What do you need emotionally? What do you need in terms of understanding? What wisdom do you need to handle your job situation? Your elderly relative situation, your children, your homeschooling, the way that uh, the way that life is turning out, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. what help do you need from the Lord? What kind of mercy do you need? Are you expressing that? It's really important that we take the personal into our prayer times with God and tell him and not berate him maybe, but at least tell him clearly, and honestly how we feel and, and what we really hope for and uh, as i pray for my parents you know it's it's emotional as you as i'm sure it is for a lot of us this kind of thing because i was saying a penny yesterday i i think if my mom gets this she's very frail i don't know if she'll make it and maybe this is the last time I'm, maybe it's a, maybe i've seen her for the last time it's possible i mean she could get it and be gone in a day or two i mean i don't know and um, it's, uh, I find it hard to pray about that. I don't really want to pray about that because I don't want to bring it to mind. And how do I handle this? I've, it's important that I don't shy away from talking to God about the things that are really on my heart, things I'm really concerned about, the areas where I really need his mercy. And by mercy, I mean his strength in this situation so that I stay in touch with my mum and pray for her. And, and and myself don't live under a cloud of anxiety, what someone called pangxiety, pandemic anxiety, and, and all our overarching anxiety because of the panic, and that and that actually covers sort of all of who we are and all of what's going on right now. Pangxiety is not a healthy thing. Uh, if we take it to God, He'll give us the strength we need. We're moving towards communion. And we're going to take some bread and wine. And I'd like to draw this towards that point now. Because when we think about mercy, the mercy of God is most powerfully expressed in the fact that Jesus went to the cross, bore our sins, and then by God's power conquered sin and death, giving us us hope for this life and the next. Let me read for us from... 2 Corinthians four it talks about the fact that we have treasure in jars of clay, and I don't know about you, but I feel like the body is a bit like a jar of fragile jar of clay at the moment. And we have this jar, uh, the a uh, treasure in jars of clay, but even though that's the case, as it says later on in the passage, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly We are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's where we fix our eyes. Like the psalmist says, We lift our eyes. Personally, I lift my eyes. That's what we do in our times of quiet with God, lifting our eyes, fixing our eyes on Jesus, as it says in Hebrews uh, 12, Uh, fixing our eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. You could say it's the contempt and the ridicule, going back to the psalm, and sat down. He sat down. At the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because he ran that race, we have confidence that he answers our prayers. Hebrews 7, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's who we're bringing our prayers to. Finally, Romans 8. And thanks, uh, Simon and Patricia, for reading Romans 8 earlier. This latter part. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No in all these things we are more than conquerors more than conquerors through him who loved us i'm convinced neither death nor life angels nor demons present nor the future nor any powers nor height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord no virus can separate us from the love of christ we have a victorious kind, loving, powerful King who is ready and listening. He intercedes for us. He answers our prayers. He brings us mercy. And this bread and wine, whatever you have handy, this representing the broken body of Jesus and this representing His the shedding of his blood for the new covenant, this reminds us that mercy is available for you and for me. Today, every day this week, forevermore. We have forgiveness. We have the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life. We have a hope for a new life forever with God. And we know that we have God's strength with us through the power of the Spirit as we walk through the challenges of this life. Whatever your need for mercy, your God, my God, our God will supply. Let's pray together. Father, we bring ourselves to you right now personally and collectively from across the world. We come to you because you are the one who has what we need. We have our limits, Father. You've made us amazingly. We have great ingenuity and and creativity and and thank you that we have this in the human race but there are still limits and when we get to those limits father those are the times when we pray you'd help us to always turn our eyes to you to fix our eyes on jesus as we do now as we think about him on the cross about the body that was broken about the blood that was shed father as we do that we pray that you'll this will help us to be reminded that you are full of mercy and that you wish to forgive and you wish to strengthen. And, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness you've given us, and we pray as we take the bread and wine that this will strengthen our gratitude, our thankfulness, as we share in the victory that you gave Jesus, and we share in that victory over sin and over death. It's a joy to know that we have such a hope and that we have such a loving God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take bread and wine together.